Hi, everybody, and welcome to the latest ITM podcast, Vodcast, recorded live and available on demand on your favorite podcast platform and, of course, the ITM website. Well, during the pandemic, we've been introducing you to some of the leaders of the industry and the approach that they've been taking to navigate these testing times. Today's guest, frankly, needs no introduction at all, but I'll give her a little one. And I always say that a little bit of this person goes a very, very long way, a bit like a fine gin, you might say. One of the most generous people with their time, knowledge and support, arguably the most decorated and well-known travel professional in the global industry, but not even the most famous person in their house. Probably not even the second most these days. It is, of course, the one and only Karen Hutchins from EY. Hey, Karen. Hello. Thank you for that. I like the analogy to gin. Very appropriate. (laughs) Anyone who knows Karen knows exactly what her order is at the bar. And if you don't, you should do. Karen, how the heck are you and how is your lovely extended family down there in Somerset? It's good. I have to say, I really felt like a deja vu when I listened to that music because that music is what we played at the ITM conferences, actually. And it was really gave me that warm, fuzzy feeling. So I just I had to share that. But yeah, we're good. Um, It's cold, um, but it's dry. I don't know about anybody else, but um, if you've got horses, when it's been this wet, you feel like you're wading through mud pretty much constantly and that's how it's been so seeing that orange thing in the sky at the moment is really really welcome I'm not gonna lie well that's a bit of a metaphor for the pandemic Karen it feels like we've been wading through some mud <laughs> and, and you of course people that know, know you've got a, a nice little uh, group of uh, sort of let's call them furry friends down there and the last two years have been so hard for everybody and everybody struggled some of us in private and some of us um, you know more publicly and you're one of the most positive people I've ever met in my life. How does your life down there in Somerset help you to keep in great shape for the, for the, the other parts of your life? Um, well, I think um, living on a hill and taking up running again definitely helped me get back into shape. That is for sure. Um, I suffered for it. I'm creaking now. But I think, um, I mean, I think candidly, animals are a real positive energy giver. And so whilst we don't have many people around us here, certainly having the animals at home really did make a difference for me because I struggled not seeing people. And I I was on Matt Holman's podcast and talked very openly about how I get my energy from being around people. And so it was really hard, actually, over the last couple of years. And so at any opportunity there was, that there was a glimmer of hope of being able to get people together, I was going to my team saying, who can meet? Who can get together? And so I've been really sort of advocating how we can get back out on the road quickly. Very fortunate to have the beautiful surroundings I live in, which meant that it was lockdown was not so bad because I have a national park on my doorstep and I have the animals. But the reality is, is that I thrive and get my energy from people. So at any opportunity, I was getting to meet with people as well. It's great. And of course, I suppose having those and was anyone that's acquired a pet like me, the pandemic, it, it makes you get out there, doesn't it? And just something about being nature, about fresh air, it, it just really helps. And, and now more than ever, we need to find anything that helps, don't we? Well, I think that the trouble is, you know, we were all sat behind these screens, weren't we, for so long. And, you know, I certainly advocated with my team about take an hour, take an hour and a half of your day to get out, move around, even if it's just to go and sit somewhere else, you know, but just get away from this like screen because it was doing none of us any good to be honest with you and I think you know we've started doing quite a lot of walking meetings and I actually got given a a walking desk for Christmas 
And um, and it's brilliant, actually, because I can be on a conference call now for a couple of hours and walk four or five miles. But I think just creating opportunities to do some little bit of exercise, whatever it may be, actually does help. And that certainly helped me over the last two years. I couldn't agree more. And there's been such a human aspect to what we've all gone through. And I know that when it comes to people in our industry, you've been really saddened to see how many talented and amazing people that we have lost. Let's maybe start to think and, and talk about that. How do we attract people back? And is it a question of attracting new people in? There's so many people, of course, that have been displaced. How, how do you think we should go about this as an industry? I mean, I think it's interesting, isn't it? And I think the reality is, is for those people that left, there's been a lot of opportunities for them. And I think we just have to remember that at our core is service. You know, we are services people. We may stick within procurement and we may negotiate fantastic contracts, but we are delivering a service. And so I think when you look at the agency element where they've lost a lot of people, people have moved into other service type organisations to deliver that. And so I think it's almost like a restart now, isn't it? It's around getting out there, talking about what opportunities there are in the business travel industry, in the meetings and events industry, and the opportunities that that can create. Um, you know, interestingly, we at EY are just doing a, a scheme, an apprenticeship scheme, which is encouraging people into supply chain services. Now, travel meetings and events is one element of that. But I think, you know, the, the organisations, corporates have a responsibility. And then I think, you know, bodies like ID, ITM, GBTA, et cetera, need to think about what can they do to actually get out there, talk about the industry to encourage people back. Because the one thing I know, and I'm sure many people can relate to this, people think that when you say you work in the travel meetings and events industry, you're organising parties and you're booking somebody's holiday trip. You know, that's sort of what people think. They don't appreciate the value that it brings to companies, the connectivity of people and the business that that brings from an economic standpoint to, to countries, as an example. And so how do you portray that to people in universities to say, this is a good career path and, you know, encourage more people into it? And so I think all of us have a responsibility to be advocating what that is. And social media is the easiest way to get it out there. And I think, you know, also engaging, like I said, with the universities to make them aware of the opportunities out there because we've lost a lot of great people, which is never a bad thing in some ways because it encourages new people in or it enables new people to come in with new ideas and new thought processes. But at the minute, there is a challenge in the fact there's just a lack of certainly consultants out there to be able to deliver the service that we need. Right. And it's, I guess, ironic to a degree before the pandemic, we talked a lot about the task of uh, trying to attract new people into the industry. And of course, then we got the very unwelcome sort of problem of actually trying to get some people back into the industry again. So it's, um, it's just it's been a quite a shifting dynamic. You mentioned the TMC there, Karen. Um, you, you and I firmly believe that every challenge creates an opportunity. Is this an opportunity for TMCs to sort of show that show their value in different new ways? I mean, I think they, they all did, <clears throat> excuse me, they all did a great job in when they just came up with tools where you could actually look to see what is it you needed to travel to a particular place. And I think the agility that they've shown to actually get something together so quickly was admirable because I think everybody was struggling at that time. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, 
that's a great example of just how they could quickly react to something. And I think they need to think about doing more of the same like that, actually. You know, I think often they try to be flexible with their clients. And so then they try and customize things. Whereas when it came to solutioning that, it was like, this is what it is and this is what it can do. And I think there's a great lesson learned there because we all accepted it because we all knew that we didn't have anything else at that time. And so we actually accepted it. So why can't we accept some other things that perhaps they come forward with without expecting customization all over the place? I think, um, I think the pricing model as well, I think it's given them an opportunity to relook at how that, you know, how they're paid for the services that they do. Um, and I think we all need to consider that and embrace that because, you know, the fact that we've seen so many mergers or companies disappear really tells us that there was an issue with how the pricing model was structured. Um, and then I think it's always around, you know, what else can they bring to the forefront that we've not thought about? And I think whilst they've had the time of pause and of travel not actually happening as it was, I know that many of them have been developing in different ways and thinking of new things that they can be doing. Um, and they just need to keep doing that, bring it forward and keep doing that. But ultimately, we need them to be able to run our service. Now, do we need them to run the service in the same way that they've always done? Maybe not. Do we need to challenge that? Do we need to help them take some things off their plate that we can answer and do ourselves so that we streamline what they're doing. Um, but for me, you know, I think they very quickly demonstrated their value with some of the tools. And I think they need to think about what else more they can do in that space. Interesting. And of course, at EY, you always push the boundaries and tend to be leading the charge on change in the industry. And again, just, just briefly, you mentioned the importance of the commercial model of the TMC there. Do you see that being an important part of building back and getting the right resource that needs to be revisited? Is that something you think that more travel managers need to think about? I mean, I think we need to be honest with ourselves that we cannot screw the agencies to the floor and expect them to deliver the service that we want. And, um, and I think we want to be seen as very good corporate partners with the companies that we work with. And so we were very cognizant of the, in, the situation that they were in and we wanted to make sure that we came to a mutually beneficial agreement, ultimately, which wasn't necessarily keeping a contract as it always was, because it really, really didn't work for both parties. I could sort of visualise TMC's high-fiving you virtually at this point, Karen, <laughs> so thank you for that. What about um, in terms of other partners that you've worked with uh, during the pandemic? Have any new partners stepped forward and, and become a part of your programme and, and activity during the pandemic itself? I mean, the biggest change that we saw was in the virtual event management, for sure. Um, so I have never seen an industry pop up and grow and flourish so quickly. Um, I would say every other day I have a different event platform contacting me, asking if we need this type of engagement tool or this type of platform to run a virtual event. So I would say the virtual event space has certainly been a winner through all of this. Um, I think... You know, we've still continued to engage with our startups that we always like to do. Um, there's not been so many new ones come up out there, which is understandable when there's been such a, a reduction in travel. But I think, though, the fact that we've still been working with them, developing their tools and helping them drive forward 
is something that we've continued to do through this. But there's nobody, there's no other new company that I can recall that I've seen outside of that virtual meeting space and that engagement space, I would say. Right. And so let's think again about something which uh, we talked about before the pandemic and you had many interesting thoughts to say, which is the role of the travel manager. Um, It has been evolving over a period of time. We've seen a convergence of some responsibilities coming in uh, and a more consultative mindset to the business before the pandemic. Um, What's your view on that during and coming through the pandemic? How has the role changed and how do you think the profile in general in the industry has changed? I mean, my honest view is that um, the pandemic gave us all an opportunity to raise our profiles in the fact that our travellers were not travelling. So for once, we had a captive audience that we could engage with them. And interestingly for me, and I know I've said this before, what we found was if our travellers couldn't travel, they liked to talk about it. And so we did a lot of forums with some of our senior partners, et cetera, getting their feedback and sharing with them, though, some of the things that we can do. So, you know, we've built a lot of products ourselves internally, and we wanted to share that out with our stakeholders and with our travellers. And so we had the ability, actually, to be able to share that information with them and give them that knowledge. Um, I think there's been a lot of people that have got stuck. Um, You know, borders have changed rules, et cetera. And so we've been able to help many more people in getting repatriated And we see each one of those as an opportunity to ultimately raise our profile. Then when you think about policy changes and what the policy should be, we've been at the seat of the table in discussing that and giving our recommendations based on the industry. So, you know, the forums that ITM do with the buyers um, forums, that was one just yesterday, sharing knowledge from other companies on those forums internally became crucial, actually, because everybody wants to know what other companies are doing. And so we were able to take that information back and then share that with our leadership when it comes to making decisions of if a major event should go ahead, if we should stop travel, if we should restart travel. And so I think it really did give us that chance to actually think about, you know, our profile internally, not just from a tactical perspective, but more from a strategic perspective. We then also went through a huge restructure ourselves um, and we had to sell that in within our company as well. And so whilst it was probably the hardest thing that I've ever had to do, it was the right thing to do. And again, it demonstrated the business acumen that we have as a function, which I think created an opportunity for us all to be able to show as well. So, uh, you know, You said it earlier on, my glass is always pretty full, I have to say, and out of anything that's fairly grim, I will try and see a positive out of it. But I do think, though, we could have either shrunk away in this situation or stick ourselves in the forefront. And we still have that chance to stick ourselves in the forefront. And I would encourage anybody to get out there and do that and speak to as many people, even if it's showing what you've done and delivered and helped over the last two years, for the next, you know, six months, because this is not over yet. We're, we're still on a roller coaster, I'm afraid to say. It's coming back. People are much more confident. However, there's still many questions to be answered and there's still many considerations to take into account. And so we still have that opportunity. It's great. And I always love your, your mindset, Karen. There are no real problems out there. There's just solutions and a chance to uh, 
to do something cool. And I just want to pick into something you mentioned about, you know, something which many of our travel managers say they're getting involved in their businesses, which is um, a conversation around the value of an in-person meeting versus doing interactions other ways, in other words, virtually. And of course, you work for a huge professional services company at the heart of which is helping companies and, and partners to do business. Are you involved in that conversation at EY? And, and if so, how is EY or a company like EY starting to think about when to travel and when to engage in another way? So, um, I mean, we've been through what we've called a, a functional transformation, which is really looking at, you know, what is the purpose of a trip? So the functional transformation was a massive project, not just within travel meetings and events, but it was looking at a number of different pillars. Um, but we were involved from a, the value that travel meetings and events can bring. And so that was around really talking about the purpose of the trip or the purpose of the meeting. So we do get involved with that in the fact that we have helped with budget re-forecasts for the year. Um, we've also linked it actually to our sustainability goals as well, because we have significant carbon reduction goals. So we've tried to link the two together to say, when do you need to do the trip versus when does it go virtual? So whereas before we may have had four in-person meetings, that would now be two, or it may be two plus one hybrid, for example. So we're very involved with that planning element because ultimately it's my team that would deliver the event, whether it be virtual or in-person. And I think, though, it comes down to um, what are you trying to get out of that meeting or what are you trying to get out of that event? And it's the same with just transient business travel as to capturing more information around the purpose of the trip. When it's client engagement, that's fair enough. You know, for client reasons, we know why we need to do what we do there. But when it's internal, though, some of it will be regulatory. So there may be an audit going on. So you have to be there. We may have a situation with one of our premises where you have to be there. Then it comes down to the, the internal travel. Is that team building? Is that engagement for a talent issue? It's just like trying to come up with more reasons versus... We're just going to go over and see everybody every three months, but there's not actually a real reason or an explanation behind that. So we're trying to create more granularity of the information so that then we understand why. And then by getting that information, which we can then share with the stakeholders, it becomes much more meaningful for them to understand the volume of travel they're doing and why, as an example, and the same on meetings and events. You know, we very openly said that our learning and development, 80% will go virtual. We managed to have 100% pretty much virtual over the last two years. So why not continue that? Because then we can use potentially monies to invest in other areas and, of course, deliver to our sustainability reduction goals too. So I want to get into sustainability next, but just um, before we do that, it's so interesting, isn't it? Because maybe before the pandemic, the major tradable item for a trip was the cost of it wasn't it and we 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 track that and there'll be a budget for it it seems that in the in the forward-looking world we've got the added risks that are associated with traveling during a pandemic the border uh, disruptions that can happen and then the sustainability uh, sort of consideration to make there are more considerations to weigh up against the value of that meeting now on there but do, would you agree that it's it's a one of the big conversations for us going forward over the next couple of years to start to articulate that equation a bit better? Most definitely, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, all companies have carbon, 
carbon emission reduction goals. So it's how do you link the two together? And I think we just need to be very clear as well. It's not necessarily around either just stopping travel. Um, we've had, we have an ambitious target of reducing our business travel by 35% or, sorry, our emissions related to business travel by 35%. However, you know, we've got a big push on switching air to rail, for example. So that means that we're still traveling. We're just doing it in a different way. And so I think, though, it's about all of those things and how do you measure all of it to show, you know, what's the importance will become critical over the next year, two years. And, you know, my team, Val in particular, in my team that does heads up our analytics. I mean, the work that she and the team are doing at the moment on the emissions data for travel is massive. But getting the baseline where you need it to be means then you can measure it and then also internally portray potentially the success. So if you are doing a great shift from air to rail, let's talk about it, you know, because that's a positive thing from our perspective, but also we're still engaging with people as well because we're still traveling. So I think, you know, we need to be careful that we don't just think that it's going to stop travel. Um, but to your point, though, it has to be on the agenda for the next you know, now, it, it, you can't even think about it in six months. It has to be on the agenda now. And then it has to be how do you report on it and how do you measure it? I'm always thinking again about that theme of turning everything into a positive. I remember um, being lucky enough to sit amongst your team back in 2019 when you were looking at these quite aggressive sustainability targets you were looking to meet. And like all businesses, struggling actually at the time because travel was just uh, going so crazy. But the last couple of years has, has forced tools on us to, to give alternatives, hasn't it? Which means that we are at least better armed to consider sustainability and travel together. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And, the, you know, I think, um, you know, our ethos really is around, you know, it's not just about offset. Um, it is around how do we change behaviour? Uh, and the air to rail is one example. Uh, and day trips is another one. You know, 18, 17 percent of our trips previously was day trips well we've not had to do any day trips over the last two years so you know there's some behavior things that we can instigate as well which we didn't necessarily know in 2019 would be the case but it's almost given us that time to say well we managed to do business without jumping on a plane so much so let's make sure we don't go back into those habits good stuff um what about just moving to one of our, our other uh, sort of topics that we always talk about well-being and of course it means different things to different people it's a very wide-ranging topic but so relevant for for all employees and travelers taking on a new dimension really in the last few years what are the key elements of well-being that you're focused on right now well there's there's many things within well-being like you said um some of it is around the friction of travel isn't it so how do you make the lives of our travelers as easy as possible when they're on the road so now more than any other time is like, how much information do you need to know before you travel? I'm going on holiday to Dubai on Sunday and I'm basically in a cocoon until I take my PCR test on Friday that will hopefully be negative so I can travel. And I think that's what people are dealing with now is travel's become a little bit more stressful. So how do we make sure we arm our travellers with all the information that they need that means that it's not as stressful for them? So that's one element of the well-being. The other side of it is around, though, when they are on the road, how do we make it as easy as possible for them? So, you know, we have a lot of people singularly traveling. Um, and how do we give them the ability to engage with other people? 
So we have our social network tool. Um, what we also use that social network tool, though, is for people to engage with each other, for us to create opportunities to bring travellers together in a particular destination. And that could be for a happy hour reception or we've done a couple of runs. We've, we've signed with a company that actually have organised exercise classes in different cities around the world. So we're given that opportunity. And I think it's just about thinking out of the box with some of this and thinking, well, how do you help your employees um, when they are on the road and when they are travelling? So you have the friction element to make it easy to travel. And then you have the element that you encourage them to take an hour in the morning or whatever it may be to do some sort of physical activity and or that social network in the evening. So those are just three examples of some of the things that we are doing at the moment and um, to try and help our employees on the road. Good. I know you spend a lot of time and effort thinking about that head. I know your travellers are very appreciative of it. Another area that, that buyers are looking at, so important to us here at ITM, diversity, equity and inclusion. Um, of course, many companies have uh, stated goals in the area and are trying to do all they can. But when it comes to the travel programme and travel policy, executing this kind of initiative in a meaningful way is, is proving difficult. Have you got any advice or learnings that you can share? Yeah, I mean, I think the... the, the... You know, we have a target of expenditure that we want to have um, with minority-owned companies. And I think the biggest challenge can be around how do you establish if a company is minority-owned and then are they certified? So one of the things that we do, I mean, we, we are very active in looking at startups. Uh, and we really look at um, the ownership structure of our startups as well. And then we also share details of how they can become certified as a minority-owned business, as an example. And it's a very simple process. Um, and we're very fortunate, you know, within our supply chain services, we have somebody dedicated to this. And then also within travel meetings and events now, we have somebody with that in their title on my leadership team too, so that we can actually bring more knowledge forward. So um, I'm happy to share actually how people can have companies register so that they are registered as minority-owned. Another area is when we look at the ownership of hotels and how do we highlight minority-owned hotels. The data out there is limited, um, but what we try to think is if we can just do small steps that actually means that there could potentially be benefits for companies that register or the hotels that declare that they are minority-owned, then we can create more visibility so our employees can make more informed decisions. Um, there is no easy answer to it, though, still. But what I would say, though, is looking at startups and looking at some of the more innovative companies out there um, is a good place to start because often they are minority owned, which then helps to achieve the targets that we may have internally. Good stuff. It's another area like sustainability, diversity, equity and inclusion is a non-competing area. We're just all trying to share and, and learn from each other, I suppose. Karen, I'm almost time up here. I can't believe it. I could talk to you all day, as you well know. But I've got my last question. Before that, though, again, always trying to take the positives. I imagine that the, the last two years and working it's enabled you to work on a new trophy room at home for the, the awards that you receive. My only trophies I'm getting in the minute is my running ones. I've actually got back into running. So I've got I've got some medals that I've got through my running. But I have to tell you, it's really depressing because I used to be quite fast. And falling off horses and becoming bionic has definitely not helped me. So I now do a 10K 
it takes me twice as long as it used to take me, which is embarrassing. But I get a medal at the end of it, and that's all that matters. <laughs> I bet you weren't always doing it over the big hills that you run over as well, which I always tell you need to needs to be borne in mind when you talk about your speed. <laughs> <laughs> that last question, Karen. Um, you always take learnings from any situation. I know which you're always very willing to share. What was the biggest things that you've learned over the last few years? What, what's your what's your positive? For me, is that people need to be with people. Um, I think that, you know, it's interesting when I've been speaking with our, some of our key partners and travellers, um, you know, within EY, and whilst I think many of them realised that they were probably travelling too much, they also realised that they need to travel as well, that you cannot be face-to-face meetings, face-to-face engagements, and you just get more innovative, strategic thinking when you're face-to-face, when you've not got a structured time of half an hour or one hour, which is on the Zoom call, and you can have that ability for that casual conversation. I think I know that everybody has missed that. And that gives me great faith in knowing that our industry will always remain alive and well as we go forward. Here, here. I can't wait to see you again. It hasn't happened uh, for for too long. So we can't wait to catch up with you again. Karen, huge thanks for giving your time for our community again today. Uh, Karen Hutchins, of course, is the travel lead for meetings, events, um, and all sorts of other things, frankly, at EY. Thanks so much, Karen. Thanks for having me and um, look forward to seeing you soon and giving you that hug, Scott. Good stuff. Can't wait. All right. Thank you so much. Then. Well, thanks, everyone. That was uh, our latest edition of the ITM podcast podcast, and we can't wait to see you soon on the next one. Take care for now. Bye-bye.